9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Deep State Radio. This is David Rothkopf, uh, your host, coming to you from New York City, and I am joined uh, sheltering in place in Florida, I presume, by Congresswoman Val Demings, who represents Florida's 10th congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives. Are you, in fact, in Florida, Congresswoman? Well, David, it's great to be with you. And yes, I am. I am sheltering in place in Orlando, Florida, which is my home and uh, have been doing it for a while now. And uh, I'm just trying to lead by example. But I got to let you know, it's pretty tough. Yeah, no, it, uh, we, we, I think everybody out there can empathize with that. Of course, the audience knows you from uh, your performance uh, and, and really, I think, star-making performance uh, in the course of the impeachment hearings. You're on the Homeland Security and Judiciary Committee as your former police chief of Orlando, Florida. Um, uh, and I think the right place to begin uh, as we talk about this country in a unique time of crisis is Florida. Uh, because it's been a, a, a source of controversy, how Governor DeSantis has handled this, uh, and and it has been a place that has uh, been one of the states with the most cases of coronavirus, uh, perhaps as a consequence of those policies, and you're there, you're in the middle of it. What's your take on on how the governor uh, uh, has handled the uh, this unprecedented crisis? Well, you know, David, nobody ever wants to uh, experience a crisis, uh, but one thing that a crisis does do is to give you an opportunity. It gives the greatest of opportunities. Um, and how we respond can really, or how we start, how we begin our response can really determine where we end up. On March 1st, um, over a month ago now, uh, Florida's Surgeon General declared a public health emergency. Yet it wasn't until April 3rd that our governor decided to issue a stay in home, a stay at home or shelter in place order. Um, we've been somewhat disappointed, to put it mildly, um, at the governor's response. Um, you know, this is one of those times where we all have our individual politics. This is a time where we certainly need to lay our politics aside and do what's in the best interest of the people that we represent. Uh, this is COVID-19. You know, we, we focus a lot on, on wars and, and bombs and missiles and tanks and, and drones. But COVID-19 is the silent killer that has kind of hijacked America and has really shut us down. It shut down our businesses. It shut down our economy. And so we need leaders that are, have the ability to rise to the occasion. And uh, unfortunately, our governor just has not done that. He's been pretty undecisive. Um, he did not issue a shelter-in-place order immediately. It took a month after the Surgeon General declared a public health emergency. And, um, and this is about saving lives. And we know that any leader's primary responsibility is the preservation of life. 
you look at the numbers in Florida, um, and, and the worst is still yet to come. We have not peaked in my home state yet. And so, um, you know, this is not the time to be indecisive. This is the time to be very decisive, to be confident, and to lead from the front. And so I say that in saying that our governor still has an opportunity uh, to get this right. We can't play politics during this time. We cannot be indecisive during this time. We are trying to save human lives. True enough. Uh, of course, uh, being decisive uh, is one thing. It depends to some degree on what you're decisive about. For example, just the other day, the governor um, made the decision to d- define uh, WWE wrestling as an essential business in the state of Florida, um, even as other businesses that were more essential were set aside, that seemed to immediately produce a political benefit from him in terms of uh, a major um, uh, amount of money being released that very same day in order to support GOP activities in Florida. Seems seems that the governor has not quite gotten this message that 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 we need to set politics aside. You know, I, I <laughs> let me, you know, every day I think that I wake up and I say, okay, what are the challenges of today and how we're going to work to get through them? And I've seen some things and heard some things and I say to myself, there's no way the person who made that ridiculous statement or bad decision can talk themselves. And unfortunately, <laughs> uh, we've seen that. Uh, you know, I, my staff speaks daily to small business owners in our community who are struggling. These mom and pop businesses that really poured their life savings, everything they had uh, into their restaurants or whatever businesses they own. And, you know, they are just struggling to see daylight. They're struggling to make ends meet. They're struggling to keep uh, the doors open. And so I think about them uh, every day. Um, I think about our healthcare workers who, God bless them, but we know how much we appreciate them during this very critical time, who are on the front line trying to treat not just COVID-19 patients, but all of the other emergencies that they have through any given day. I think about our first responders, our firefighters, our police officers, our EMTs, who, who they've got to answer the call regardless of the pandemic that we currently face. When I heard the governor say that WWE, now look, we, we all, you know, there are a lot of people who love it in uh, our country, but when I heard our governor uh, define it as an essential business, um, I first thought, I, I have to admit, I first thought maybe he was, it was a joke. Um, sadly enough, it was not. And what bothers me even more than him saying that is we know the ties that WWE has to uh, the president, has to uh, you know, political uh, ventures within Florida. Um, and to stand there basically with no shame and with everybody knowing that and to say, no, I'm just going to declare, uh, you know, our political supporters as essential businesses when the real essential businesses are struggling to serve Floridians and struggling to serve the American people is disgraceful. 
And, um, you know, I'm just glad to see that he was quickly called out on it. And, um, and, you know, sometimes when you speak up and speak out, it does make a difference. And, um, we, we've got to do better than that. Well, you know, you have spoken out, um, since the crisis began on, on, on behalf of certain key communities that have not had the advocacy perhaps that they should have. I, I've been struck you talking about, uh, safeguarding the health of TSA officers. And of course, you know, Orlando uh, uh, and the area that you represent is heavily tourism driven and restoring the public's faith in being able to travel to these places is going to be absolutely um, essential. These businesses, which employ a lot of people in your district, are going to be devastated if that cannot be done quickly. And so, that involves not just, you know, support for the businesses or good public health practices, but also things like protecting first responders, protecting TSA agents and so forth. And I, I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about what do you think is going to be necessary to get the district you represent, you know, back up on its feet? You know, and I, I appreciate you mentioning um, our TSA. Uh, a workers. I, um, as a police captain, I was assigned to the Orlando International Airport during 9-11. And uh, we know what a, God, just overwhelming time that was for uh, aviation and for our safety and security as a nation. Um, Out of the ashes, so good things can happen. And um, I believe the Transportation Security Administration, the Department of Homeland Security were two great things. We are a safer nation. Um, Travelers are safer because of the changes that resulted uh, from 9-11. But, you know, I, of course, I I was traveling a lot and interact with our uh, TSOs uh, quite frequently. And when we think about, you're right, when we think about those who are on the front line, um, the TSO, you don't necessarily think about them first, but they are, as our airports are continuing to, um, you know, serve the traveling public, passengers have been uh, reduced by 90%, but there are some that are still operating. Our TSOs are there uh, interacting with the traveling public not necessarily that officer on that front line may not know where that traveler's coming from, who they are, what their experience is. And so um, I had a conversation. Uh, we had a call uh, about three weeks ago now uh, with the Homeland Security Committee and the TSA administrator, Mr. Pukowski, and we spoke specifically about those TSOs on the front line and what the um, TSA was doing to make sure that they were safe. He talked about, you know, social distancing when they can. He talked about them wearing protective equipment, that they were, um, you know, it was mandatory that they wear gloves, but that the masks were optional. Um, You know, and my addition to that conversation was, look, this is a tough time. Um, And we know that masks can be hot and uncomfortable, but uh, wearing them should be mandatory when they are actually dealing on the front line, dealing with uh, the public. I um, had a conversation on yesterday about just checking in to see what the additional, um, how they were doing and what additional measures they've taken. I was glad to see that uh, OIA has actually, Orlando National has actually installed plexiglass 
um, to create a barrier between the TSA uh, officer and the traveling public. So all of those things are, are, are really good. But, you know, in this very challenging time, I see my job as a member of Congress and um, other members, too, are to speak out for those who may not have a voice. And I consider the uh, TSOs and the exceptional job that they do every day so critical. But um, And I have to be, just, just like other members of Congress, be uh, their voice during this tough time. In terms of getting back on our feet, we know how, you know, when I think about air travel being down 90% in Orlando, uh, the number one family destination in the world. We know how important tourism is to our economy. All of the theme parks are in my district. And so we, we have people who are, you know, furloughed. We have people who are unemployed, who lost their jobs. We have people who um, are just barely hanging on, but their hours have been significantly reduced. We need to get... Um, Florida up and running again as quickly as possible. We want to get the country up and running again as quickly as possible, but not at the expense of human lives. And this is a time while we have, the, you know, the president, the members of Congress, the state and the governors, the state and local elected officials certainly have major input in that process. We need to lean on our health care experts. They should be the ones who make the decision about when we open and how we open. We should be listening to the Surgeon General. We should be listening to the CDC. We should be listening to our uh, local Surgeon Generals and, and health uh, department officials to make sure that we do this correctly. In Florida, we have not peaked yet. And so until we peak, there will be a period of time before we see the curve flattening, if you will. And so while, yes, we're anxious to get back up and running, we have a, a deadline right now of April 30th. I don't believe that is going to happen. I, I'm not sure we'll be back up and running on May 31st. I do know that some of the governors are working together, and God bless the governors in this country. They're working together uh, in, from a regional standpoint to figure out how they can open back up regionally because it's so important. Say if Florida... Um, it's not doing what we're supposed to do in Georgia is, which is right across the, you know, the state line, then we're not helping uh, uh, people who live in Georgia. So we do have to be uh, come together and come up with a strategic plan about when we open up and how we open. We've only got about five minutes left. And so I've got two questions and I'll, the, the first one could take a long, long time. It could be subject <laughs> subject for 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 you know day many days long conversation. But um, I, I think it's important to touch upon it as we are starting to see data on this crisis. It is very clear that it is disproportionately affecting communities of color in the United States. It is disproportionately affecting poor communities in the United States, and in turn, this is revealing the. The, the failings of our healthcare system in the country. Uh, this is going to be even more acutely felt as people lose their jobs because healthcare is tied to jobs in the United States. Do you think that this crisis can trigger um, a rethinking of healthcare or a recommitment to filling the gaps in our healthcare system to make sure that everybody gets the coverage they need? I want to thank you so much for that. Uh, question because, um, 
you know, I'm a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, and so we are focusing on this issue daily. And one of the things one of uh, the members of leadership says is that when America catches the cold, black communities catch pneumonia or catch the flu. And whenever there is a crisis or a lack of resources, vulnerable communities are going to be hit the hardest because they don't start in a good place. And, and you, you, I love the way you framed it that, you know, Dr. King said that of all of the inequities in America, the absence of health care is the worst because of the consequences. People die when they don't have access to quality health care. And so I am hopeful that one of the things I said, out of the ashes, good things can happen. Um, and crisis will shine a spotlight on our vulnerabilities, as it has here in Florida, as it has in um, at-risk communities with the absence of health care. We have asked the president of the United States, for example, to open up a special enrollment period of the Affordable Care Act not because we're playing politics, but because many people have lost their jobs, they don't have health care coverage, this would be an opportunity for them to get the coverage that we need. And so if COVID-19 has done anything, it has, it has put a very bright spotlight on a major vulnerability in the United States of America, the place that we say is the greatest country in the world, and I do believe it to be so that we need to make sure that every person living in the greatest country in the world has access to quality health care that's affordable and that they're able to be able to afford the prescription drugs that they need and not have to go without them or cut their medications in half, as I hear so many horror stories every day. And so I am hoping that as a nation, we will take this opportunity, this very tragic moment that we find ourselves in and put processes in place that will uplift the quality of life for the American people in all communities. Well, there is that opportunity to rebuild. And frankly, throughout American history, whenever we've had crises and it can be wars or it could be the Great Depression, uh, it has produced periods of innovation and rebuilding that have strengthened the country. The Great Depression produced the New Deal. Uh, but with, you know, in each... But you've got to have leaders who have that vision. You've, you know what I'm saying? You're absolutely correct. But I look back at America's very complicated history. It was during the toughest of times that some of the greatest things were developed. And you, you, you were, you're absolutely correct. But that's it, but in order for that to happen, we've got to have leaders who get it. We've got to have leaders who are visionaries. We've got to have leaders who understand that representing America, representing your state means representing everybody in the country and in the state. We can get there, but that's got to be the vision that we, that we have. Right. And that, by the way, that's exactly where I was going to go for the, the final question here. <laughs> um, uh, because we've got an election coming up. Um, and uh, I have to acknowledge that, you know, all all the shortlists for, for vice president for Joe Biden include you on the shortlist, but I'm not going to put you in an awkward spot by asking you about that. Rather, 
it's been a very remarkable week in American politics that's been overshadowed by these these other events. Um, Joe Biden got the endorsement of Bernie Sanders this week, and the party <laughs> has come together early, much earlier than many people expected. He got the endorsement, of course, of Barack Obama, and Barack Obama is now out on the playing field in American politics in a way he has not been recently. That could have a big effect. Today, Joe Biden got the endorsement of Elizabeth Warren, who has clearly been a leader in the progressive wing of the party. Even today, there I, I noticed that there was a story recently uh, that uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, uh, Cortez's uh, People have been speaking to Biden's people and that she's preparing an endorsement. The Democrat, the Democratic Party is coming together in a way no one has expected it. There is real unity there. I assume that's a source of hope for you. What do you think it all means? You know, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. And I really think it is a testament to the commitment of all aspects of our party to really uplifting the quality of life for all Americans. You know, what makes the Democratic Party so beautiful is our diversity, and we are just so excited about the young, energetic talent that we have uh, in our party, like OAC. And so we need, I, I just think that people see how bad things are right now. They don't have to be. You know, COVID-19, we didn't plan it. We didn't expect it. Here we are. It's a horrible crisis. People are dying. But I don't believe there's anything that we can't get through if we work together to get through it. And I believe the party is coming together because we're looking at the suffering of individuals, the suffering of families in a country that we say is the greatest country in the world. And I really do believe that our democratic leaders understand as they look around that we are, our party is the only hope that American families have to be able to live their best life in the best country. And so I'm excited about it. It's a good time. And and, you know, even though we're, we're trying to work through COVID-19, make sure our small businesses have the help that they need, our seniors are taken care of, our families are taken care of, we're trying to get the country back open, and certainly my home state of Florida, but the party's doing the work, coming together so we can, you know, create a brighter future for the American people, and believe me, that is a good thing, and it takes everybody within our party to get that done. Well, you're absolutely right that it takes leaders, and I have to say we are very lucky to have you among those leaders. Uh, you, you you have emerged over the years as a strong voice on a wide variety of issues, uh, and this year I think have rightfully taken center stage. We're extremely glad that you could spend a few minutes with us, uh, uh, and uh, we hope that you know perhaps at some point over the months ahead we'll be able to talk to you again. But in the meantime, uh, Representative Val Demings, thank you very much, and uh, stay healthy. Thank you, and you stay healthy as well. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.